This is the Creative Agency Podcast, where we explore the strategies, aspirations, methods, and mistakes behind growing and maintaining a successful creative agency. Ladies and gentlemen, creatives, agency owners, and entrepreneurs, I have a public service announcement. The time has come. Yes, faithful Creative Agency podcast listeners, it's finally time to dispose of your lorem ipsum. Yes, that scourge of gobbledygook must end. And that's not all. We've got to drop kick our Chuck Norris ipsum, brain stab that zombie ipsum, say ta-ta to the hipster ipsum, and fry that bacon ipsum till it's an unrecognizable chunk of suedo Latin charcoal. Basically, if you use something that ends in ipsum, it's gotta go. But I love my Ipsum, you say. My clients think my Ipsum is high-freaking-hilarious, you say. What could I possibly use instead, you say? Well, friends, we'll be answering this question and many more on today's episode of the Creative Agency Podcast. We have a very exciting guest, Isaac Smancic of Conveyor. Conveyor is an agency that specializes in content, real content, none of that lorem Ipsum flotsam and jetsam. You can check them out at goconveyor.com. I'll be talking with Isaac about content strategy, content management, content planning, and more. And whether you create content in-house, rely on your clients to create content, or outsource your content to an agency like Conveyor, Isaac has some really great actionable advice. Don't forget to stick around for his takeaways at the end of the show. And here's a challenge for you. If you like something that you hear on the podcast, write it down and tweet it. Tag Creative Agency on Twitter. That's Creative, A-G-N-C-Y, in your tweet, and I will retweet it for you. Got it? Good. All right, let's get to that interview. Hello there. I'm here at Murmur Creative in Portland, Oregon, with Isaac Samancic of Conveyor. Welcome to the show. Hi, nice to see you. <laughs> Good to have you here. Um, so Conveyor is your agency. It's a content agency. Um, can you explain to me what that means and what you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, so to us, a content agency, um, we, we try to help clients with all types of content, help them figure out their content. That means we do content strategy, figuring out what they should be doing and why and when and how, what makes sense. We do the, the management, the logistics of helping them publish, whether it's publishing blogs or content. And then we actually produce a lot of content ourselves on behalf of clients. So like a, like a copywriting firm would. But we work uh, across all three of those areas. Nice. Did Conveyor start out doing just content? Um, how did you end up focusing? Uh, yeah, we, we did start out doing content. It was um, the idea I had years ago. That was always what I studied. I, I came up through advertising school as a copywriter and then I write, wrote for public relations and I worked in marketing and copy was and content was always my stock and trade. The idea for Conveyor came because I saw all these agencies that seemed to be really good at things like SEO or, their, or design focus agencies or even development agencies or full service di- digital, but nobody was at that time focusing on content. And it seemed like it's a necessary piece of the, of the mix of all those things, you know. And so if we, if we focused on that, we could potentially succeed and excel and, and, you know, specialize. So you started Conveyor, um, how many years ago? So the idea really came up about eight years ago. I'd got around to found, figured out a name and I realized I had to do it and incorporated it five years ago. And then 
didn't launch it full-time until three years ago. So it's, we've been running th- three years full-time now. Nice. And how many employees do you have? We have uh, seven full-time employees and a, a handful of contractor freelancers, mostly in the photography, video, and even video production areas where we don't have a full-time role, but we are producing that content. How do you price your services with content? I mean, is it an hourly rate? Do you have like a typical project cost? Yeah, uh, that's always a, uh, and I've heard your other podcasts, is it's an interesting question because everyone does it a little differently and everyone's trying to do it right. You want to add value, you want to make money, uh, you want to do it at a price that the client uh, can afford, but also, you know, is fair for your work. Um, we have moved to flat pricing for projects or, or even flat pricing for programs um, on a monthly basis more and more consistently. We started out going hourly, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, the client doesn't really want to know where, where every 15 minutes went. They want to know what how much they paid to get something done. Mm-hmm. And so we want to always be thinking about what it, how do we make this easier for the for the customer. So mostly on retainers, basically? Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I don't mean that. Um, we work in two kinds of ways. One is projects, which is a start, middle, and end, mm-hmm. and there's a price and a scope. And then we have programs uh, because we help clients on an ongoing basis with like their ongoing content efforts, their email newsletters or their blogs or their various other bits of marketing management, some of their marketing automation, uh, social media where we have a scope within a certain frame of time, like a year or a month. And so it's it's sort of recurring. And our job is to watch that budget, make sure we deliver great value. As a content-focused agency, uh, you work with a lot of agencies that need content services for their clients. Um, what would you say would be the breakdown? Are most of your clients generated through agencies or are most of them businesses that contact you directly? Yeah, sure. That's, that's a great question. So I started Conveyor to to help solve the content problem that I perceived, that we had all of these um, websites that were getting more and more beautiful and more and more functional, and content wasn't getting any smarter, that great agencies were building great websites where the client said, yep, we'll do the content, we got it, we got a marketing team or our marketing manager, or we've got a somebody knows somebody who's a writer, and they're going to they're gonna bang out the content. And invariably, that always doesn't happen on time, and you've got a, this site that you've got in testing, and it's completely ready to go, but the copy is two months overdue, mm-hmm. and there's no ETA in sight. And we thought well, if we could be a little more planful and work with the discipline that the agencies, the agency has to, with you know, from discovery to design and wireframes and development, all that, uh, we could get it done efficiently. And so we wanted to make sure that was available. And I thought that would be a great service to provide to design and full-service digital agencies that don't have that content expertise or the depth or the bandwidth to help them unstick the that bottleneck when the cl- when the site's ready except for content if we can do it up at the front of, front end of the project even better and help them plan that out before they've got their sitemap in place and before they've built out pages that may or may not necessarily need to have content on them so that's one side of the business and the other side is i think this is where brands come to us directly because we pitch ourselves as storytellers as you know literal writers and storytellers and where we can learn how to say what a client wants to say better than they can themselves Mm -hmm. and so they'll come to us directly looking for that storytelling help and we focus on the strategy why should we be saying things and who should we be talking to and what would they care about and how do we make it sound good and then we go and figure out how to make that happen so it's a very content-centered approach to marketing but then we also have to go and figure out how to make the other pieces happen that we don't do like oh they're going to need a site and so we look to a partner like a design for a design development firm 
or an SEO firm because we know that the content needs to be audited and, and uh, SEO optimized. Uh, we do act as the agency of record for some of our clients who consider us their, their main marketing firm and they know what our focus is, but they know that they look to us to figure out those other problems, those other pieces of the marketing program. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm curious, you don't actually have an SEO person on staff. No. How is that sort of addressed in your relationships? Because I'm sure some businesses are really focused on that as far as content. Well, that's the thing. I think, you know, if you look at, there's so many agencies, you know, now in in America and in Portland, you have to know enough to get by in about everything. I mean, as a designer, you need to know enough about how content works. And as a developer, you need to know how design works. And so we we like to say we speak SEO, Mm -hmm. but that's not our depth. And we know know about, uh, you know, keywords and how they're used. And we try to keep up on what Google is doing and what's being favored more. And and, uh, you know, when the shift happened from really just that keyword stuffing kind of search that was working five, ten years ago mm-hmm. to more natural speak and linguistic and Google was getting smarter at finding good sites, we try to stay up with those kinds of trends. We will, you know, advise clients that, you know, as there are some things we need to write and things we need to make sure we have in headers and titles and page titles and, and the body in order to be even relevant SEO-wise. But right. if they need more help, then we we have a list of SEO agencies we work with. There are a lot of them. That do nothing but just geek out on that. And yeah. we would much rather bring in a partner and say, this is the project. You guys want to be a part of this and bring them to that. And I think clients appreciate us not trying to be everything, mm-hmm. be all things. There's a, you know, there's a debate. You can try to be that agency that does everything, and there's a lot of security in that. But usually, at least at our size, you're faking it a little bit if you have if you think you know you think you can get get it all done and do it all excellently. We all have our strengths, and uh, and I think the market's the market is kind of responding to that sort of idea of specialization. Yeah, definitely. I know I've had people on the podcast who are uber into specialization, and some people like uh, Doug Fish of Fish Marketing, who's like, we do it all. You know, and that was kind of his uh, differentiation was that like we do it all, which is which is interesting. So, well, yeah, I heard that podcast and he's a smart guy and with certainly the experience, the track record to to prove that work. Mm -hmm. And and I think it doesn't mean you can't do it all to us to do content really well. You need to be working content strategy and have people who think about strategy all day long. You have to have people who are great content project managers and Mm -hmm. you have to have amazing writers and then a QA team, a process, and all of that. And a lot of agencies don't have the role, you know, the work to have five or six or seven content people on staff. When right. you get to a certain size, whether it's Fish or any other marketing link, uh, you you can. And certainly there are big agencies, you know, Widen and all these others that that do almost everything really, really well. But yeah, it takes a lot of staff members. <laughs> yeah, when yeah. you're in the, this boutique size, when you are between you know five and even fifty people, or maybe five and thirty-five people, and there's a ton of agencies our size then a lot of times you see that specialization. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we at Murmur Creative have made those mistakes. We've taken on things that we weren't prepared to do. And actually, Andrew and I were just talking about the owner of Murmur Creative, my brother, that when Murmur first started out, we said yes to everything. You know, we were as a business sort of not in a position to say no. So we would say yes, and then we'd go figure it out. And that's a painful place to be in. <laughs> but that's how you build a business, yeah. too. You know, I, I, I know some very successful agency owners who literally they their first client they sold was a Whopper and they didn't have any staff and they got the business and then went and hired. And it's a you know, you can get a nosebleed from running that fast and it can be exhilarating. But if you if you're smart, like these these folks were, you know, you can make it work. And that's your 
that's your launch pad. So it's always a balance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I would say I'm, I'm, you know, now that Murmur has grown a little bit, we have, you know, we have the ability to say no, and that's a great ability to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they say that what you deciding what you don't want to do is more important than than deciding what you do want to do. Exactly. Uh, and it seems counterintuitive until you really think it through, and that's actually how it works. Mm-hmm. For, whether it's a mission statement or it's your business model or just what you respond to. Definitely. So is selling content services hard? I feel like content is undervalued often, and we've encountered this with clients who, you know, they want to build a website, and they're like, oh, c- content, we'll take care of that. You know, we don't want to pay for that. We can do it ourselves. Um, I, I feel like it sort of gets pushed aside by its glamorous older sister design gets a lot of the focus. Does that sort of make selling content an uphill battle? Yeah, I I think it, I think it can, but it also depends on where you're starting from too. I think lots of clients go to agencies, they look up a web, web firm, let's say, and they find they'll search for a digital agency or web agency because they assume that they can build websites because they know they need a website. Uh, and so that's what the agency focuses on. I used to say, you know, uh, you have to pay a designer if you want something built in Photoshop or, or Adobe, but everybody's got Microsoft Word on the computer, so anybody can do the content. Yeah, and that, I think that kind of attitude just kind of subconsciously uh, exists in in business, whether it's you know in-house incorporations or in uh, in the agency uh, agency client world. Our clients, a lot of our clients, have come to us because we say we know how to do content well, or we we say we know how to do better business storytelling. Uh, for the brand, and you know, storytelling is now completely overused. I mean, now I'm, there's a meme going on about that's that's the next word to kill. You know, that's the <laughs> word after you know, branding was ten years ago. Everyone wanted to kill the word branding because it was overused, and now now storytelling seems like it's become a cliche that we all we all love. But um, so so we say that, and so they when they come to us, we don't have to sell that hard. They already know they they don't know how to express what they want to say. Mm-hmm. And they usually already have a website. And we're not going to go in and sell them a new say, oh, you need to redesign your website first. We're going to say, okay, how do we make your story better with the site you have or with the sales tools you have or with the social media you're using? How do we better convey your story? And sometimes, you know, yes, it, it would definitely help to freshen up their brand and their visual identity and and make their site mobile and and responsive and modern and all of those things and we we don't um beat around the bush about calling that out yeah because we think it ultimately you know as any agency your job is to do is to is to steer your client down the right road and fight for what you know as a professional will will help their business right so to not at least point out what you can see i think is is not giving them all the value you can so what is your day-to-day role at Conveyor? Oh, well, what day is it? <laughs> so, I think everybody who runs an agency probably feels this way. You, it's a blend of two things, working in the business and then working on the business. You know uh, that, And I, th- I think that's pretty accurate because you start out on your own and the, you're the main client person and often the clients r- referred to you, they know it as your firm where they're coming to, you know, c- coming because, because of your relationship. Uh, it's hard to completely extricate yourself from the work. At the same time, if you're going to do bigger work and more work, you want to be able to have your team take more and more of that and not make yourself this linchpin in every right. single project. So my day is, is kind of a split of billable work and then business development work, which is you know meeting with people, following up on opportunities or exploring new opportunities or markets. And then there's the operational 
work that I don't get paid for that just has to happen. Uh, you know, one hour might be spent in a really impactful client pitch, like a conference call that's going to mean a ton of work for you in the year to come. You walk right out of that to helping somebody carry in plants off the elevator or chairs off the elevator. And then you turn around, sit down at your desk, and you do a final revision or edit on on a, a piece that needs to go out tomorrow. Um, so I I just think about more and more how to how to make the best use of my time and do the highest value tasks that only I can do. Mm-hmm. If it's something that somebody else could, what would you say one of the biggest challenges that conveyor faces? I think one one of the biggest challenges that we face is getting me out of the way, getting me out of the work. Like I said, that's speaking of the day to day role, mm-hmm. being so in the work. And having my hands in a lot of things, I think um, I become a bottleneck, you know, yeah. and our whole mission is to unstick the content bottleneck. And, and um, but there's a people bottleneck, too, when you when you have, uh, you know, I play the creative director role and the and the relationship manager or the the business development director role. And so I'm necessarily going to be involved with a lot of things, but I'm, I'm I guess my goal is, is working to enable and empower uh, the team to make the decisions that are right for the, the client and for the company and be able to um, let them run with that. So, yeah. Yeah. so you talked a little bit about uh, sort of wanting to expand so that you can cover as much as you need to. Uh, what are your growth goals for Conveyor? One of our one of our goals for 2016 that we just, we have, I think we have three goals. Um, I don't have them in front of me right now, but one of them that I always think about is grow the company sustainably or grow the team sustainably. And sustainably to me means don't hire too fast and and hire carefully for just the right skills at the right time. And we're constantly, we constantly have a few jobs open and we'll get people throw in their applications all the time. We usually have two or three jobs open, but the order in which we hire them can change month to month based on the workload and the clients. You know, just recently we were doing some interviewing for a senior level uh, writer, strategist, you know, as well as a project manager because we really needed to beef up our game and just our consistency with project management. And um, those ended up switching places in terms of priority based on what was going on. So it, I think about that, just how do we get the right people as we go from 6 to 7 to 8 to 10 to 12. The goals I am still revising. I, I hate to put numbers out there without um, without having a really solid plan on how to get there, but I do think there's room for us to grow. I think in Portland and in the Northwest, and we have clients we're working with nationally. So, I want to see just how valuable we can be. And, and when I get to, it gets to the point where it's either not fun to run the business, or it's unmanageable, then then we know we've gotten too big. So I kind of imagine that there are probably far fewer content-based agencies than there are, um, you know, web design agencies. That you have sort of a leg up as far as sort of expanding to other cities and nationally because of your focus. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly, I have confidence that we're doing the right thing based on the demand. In the last three years, we've had great response, both from the agency side, from, you know, a good handful of agencies that have said, yep, that's exactly what we need is somebody to help us with that piece because we don't, we don't do it or we don't have enough bandwidth. And from the clients who say, yeah, that's exactly what we need. We like our website, but it's all tired and dated and we don't, we haven't refreshed it and we don't know when to refresh it and we don't. We're not sure if we're talking to each other or talking to the customer. Yeah, it's it's been um, it's encouraging. I think that I think there's and I think there's room for a lot more. I think there's room for more content agencies. I mean, I'm not concerned with, you know, I know there are copywriting firms in town. There, I know a few of them, and it, I think there's far more work than we can do uh, together so far. And I don't know what that point of saturation will be, but 
if you think about it, everything we do on the web today is dependent on content. Search depends on really good content. Websites and depend on having great content. I mean, they are a the delivery vehicle for the content. Everything we, you know, the web itself is built on content, either images, video, or text. And I think that the recent advances of the web in the last 10 years, mobilization and, and, and social media and all of the the ways we use the web now have made content so much more important to think about more carefully and plan more carefully because we're not just copywriting print ads for the Wall Street Journal or for New York Times anymore. Um, it's really, Content is used in a much more sophisticated way and consumed in a really different way than it used to be. Yeah, I... You know, we sort of learned the con- our content lessons the hard way because we were building websites and relying on the client to get it to us, and it would just stall out for the longest time. And in the end, we'd end up with subpar experiences because you know the clients didn't nec- they weren't experts in content. They didn't know what they're doing. There was it was difficult for us to interface content and design when the clients were providing it. You know, when we do content for a website, when we're, even if we're just copy editing or whatever, the designer, our web designer will come to me and be like, can you make this shorter so it fits into this box? It'll look a lot nicer if it's, you know, five words instead of 12 words or whatever. You know, you can't do that when you're just, when the client has complete control over content. Our projects are so much shorter now that we're getting more involved in content. The website has to has to deliver an effect, and that is going to be done by how fast it loads, how interactive it is, how good it looks, and what it says. And they have to all work in perfect harmony, to you know. And so it would make sense that you need to develop them in perfect harmony. Well, and content first—that's one of the things that we wanted to talk about, and that's something that we became familiar with. I think maybe through the program Gather Content, as we started using yeah. that program, you guys use it as well. Yeah, that's one of um, our tools. And I think it was some of their educational materials, or maybe a webinar where they were talking about sort of a content-first philosophy. And I know that you guys are interested in in content-first. Obviously, um, how would you describe content-first? Well, I, I mean, simply. Content first is uh, really just, it's the opposite of content last, which is what I think 80% of digital firms, web agencies are doing still. They say, okay, client, you want a website? We're going to start with discovery. Then we're going to get an established sitemap so we know how many pages we're developing and that will finalize the scope. And then we'll build wireframes for every page type of in that sitemap based on, you know, products, services, about us, et cetera, uh, whatever those are. And then um, once you approve those, we will get into design and look and feel, or some semblance of this process, and then we'll get into development. And we'll need content right before we go into testing. What that does is, that's the content last approach, and what it does is it doesn't ask all the questions about what the content needs to say, how much do you need, do you need a sentence or a a whole page on this topic, and even if it does ask those questions, by the time you ask them, by the time you involve content, that sitemap already got baked and approved, and this, the developers have already burned the time developing the pages as they were approved and the wireframes. So you miss out on the opportunity to create the best site you can because you you didn't um, bring that those considerations in when when those uh, that sitemap was being built. So content first is is saying, okay, what do we want to say? What does the site have to do? And I know user experience asks that all the time. What do you have to do? What's the goal of each page? But also, how are we going to explain that so the user either downloads this or goes to the shopping cart or goes to the next page? Or how do we want to guide that journey? And 
And I think that having that someone speaking for the content who knows how the content's going to be produced and what the topics are, that can that can really help that. So that was not the short answer I was going for. But, <laughs> that's but, right. but that's that's sort of the idea of content first. And I think that I think first is probably too much, but content with yeah. uh, or content simultaneous is uh, is a clunkier but more accurate way to to maybe position that in the process. Yeah, I mean, until about a year ago, I think that we designed all of our websites with lorem ipsum text, you know, just random Latin phrases in there just to sort of, you know, identify where text was going to go. But then as I started getting more and more involved in the website design process and I had sort of needs from an SEO perspective, I'd be like, you can't have a homepage without any text on it because... Google's going to ignore it, or we should flush this out with like four or five more paragraphs of information and there's no room to do it, or we'd have to redo the whole website or, you know, all these considerations were just weren't there until the end. And then it was too late. And that's where we were like, okay, we need to start doing this way earlier in the process. And also it's, it's amazing. Like when you put content, real content in the website, when you're showing clients the website, like they, it's a lot more clear to them what, how their website is going to act, what's it's going to say, how it's going to help them. And yeah, when it's just Lorem Ipsum, they don't know, you know, and that moves their issues down the funnel until it's in development or it's on staging or it just launched and they're like all this copy needs to be redone or you know we need something here we need to change this so i can write more you know yeah Yeah, exactly uh we've sent so many times when lauren ipsum called for you know a nice long skinny column at this whatever point size and it's four paragraphs and and you wonder why the client hasn't written that one page yet or why why did that one take so long and you finally get down to it, and they say, "You know, it's, this is really there's not, there's about a sentence to say about this, and I just don't know how I'm going to fill four paragraphs, but I see the page, and I know it's it's this you know detail page, and that's the problem with Lorem Ipsum, that you are specifying to write something without asking why you should write it, or if you could write it, or or would the user want it, and that is what has created all these websites that are boring to read and with way too much information because somebody was told at the end of the day, some writer was told, you have four paragraphs on this, and they have to go, they, t- they write around and around in circles with every kind of descriptor they can think of to fill the space so it doesn't look like an empty page. If they had worked together with the, the subject matter experts or the, the, the client or the content owner at, during the design phase, they might not have created that page it might have just been a list of bullets on the page above it that's the, when you know it's working is is when you have you know exactly what you're going to say before you've decided how how many pages to build one of the things we do in our process <clears throat> is we we create something called a content outline and we try to do it before the design team and development team have built a sitemap because it rather than being a, a sitemap of you know page one two three four it's saying this is content section one content section two content section three and we know the section has to cover these things, but we're not going to specify how many pages that's going to be. We're going to look at how much content it's going to be. And then we want to consult with the designers to figure out, well, would that work better on separate pages? Or would that work better as like chunks on a, on a single page? You know, and now we have these beautiful long scrolling pages that can be so much more dense than they used to be because of the way users browse the web now. Uh, not everything has to be above the fold and like it, like it was in 2002. Right, right. You know, That's great. I hadn't conceived of that before, but it makes sense being able to sort of organize content and sort of strategize for content before you even get into um, site mapping. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's, that's sort of the process we try to bring, bring to, the, 
to that. When an agency calls us up and says, hey, can you come and just talk with our client? And we, we don't know how to get them out of this. Because one, they heard about us and they heard that we could help with this and, and that we get a chance to help make that site better than it would have been. It's great when we can we can sort of show them, well, here's how we would think about it. And we, we still defer to the agency that, that already working with the client that owns the relationship because it's their site, it's their right. project. And uh, we don't want to screw that up or say, no, 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 you're doing it all wrong. <laughs> but uh, say like, well, here's what we could do. And given where you're at in, in your process, here's what we would recommend. That's cool. Yeah. I was going to say something. Um, you, you brought up the old sites that had no text on them. And it reminded me of, you know, the days of flash websites that were super cool and you could play with them and poke them and they would react and, and they often didn't have any text on them and they weren't really searchable. Yeah. Um, and they certainly weren't loadable on, on a mobile or the modern iPhones and things like that. I think that was the last time that content didn't matter on the web. You just had to hear about a site and then go type it in and then you could play with it. But nowadays we, we make all of our decisions based on what sites to visit based on a text link through a search engine or a text link from social media or a ref- text referral from somebody's email. So it's now it's, it is the content that takes us there and the content that we, that we visit for. Yeah. yeah. Other than gather content, what uh, tools do you use to manage and write content? Um, I know every agency has their own tool set and they're the things you love to hate and really love. And we're always juggling that like everybody else, the basic project tools, but for content, one of our one of our things we try to keep things as simple as possible asterisk as possible that still means we have <laughs> ten or eleven tools, but um, but gather content is what we use for websites because of um, because it really structures it allows us basically to have a sitemap that's indexed and you can click into any page in that tree work it through a, a workflow process from first draft to second draft to revision to client review um, but we use Google Docs a lot because um, people are just comfortable in word processing and we it has all the collaboration we need as a team to share things and revise things and suggest things but we can also either share that directly with a with a client if it's a one page thing like a like a brochure copy or just a, a small piece mm-hmm. but we can also export it to a word doc for the clients that just can't get their heads around the online tools yeah and they're always you know there always are those clients um, there, are, I think there's some other content tools out there that are really interesting for doing uh, larger managed programs like uh, Divi HQ, which allows you, it's kind of like if you think of like a, like a base camp mixed with a content editing and revision tool where you can actually work in the tool, but also schedule things out and flag them as different types. Like these are Facebook posts and these are blog posts and these are articles and these are all of that. So, uh, we don't, we don't use it currently, but it's an interesting tool. Uh, what, what other tools do you use at conveyor project management tools, money tools? What, uh, what other software are you got your hands in? Yeah. So, uh, it's always a rotating set and my, my team goes between, I think being thrilled at the new tools and then also overwhelmed, but you know, like between, uh, some of the changes. Cause when you're a startup, you have to, I think you always have to be looking for the best thing for your situation right now and mm-hmm. when you are three people versus seven people versus 17 people that can evolve uh right now we are using uh base camp two uh that which is the i think the probably the most popular base camp right now and there's a new one out but we haven't moved to it mostly because changing tools takes churn and it takes it mental and emotional stress on yeah. people because they don't know where they're going they're not comfortable yet and um, we're using Slack cause it's so, you know, we adopted it sort of unconsciously like everybody else. And then all of a sudden realized that it's part of the, part of everything. And now everybody else is using it. We've got clients on it and, 
it's it seems like it's got a life of its own, kind of like Twitter, where you just can't get rid of it even if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah. so. uh, and that's and that's okay. We use uh, a couple of some of us use Evernote uh, because of um, we do a lot of research and writing. And if you're if you try to be productive and highly organized, it's a great way to capture all that stuff. Go on and on about Evernote, but it's not an official uh, conveyor tool because it has redundancy with Basecamp and Google Docs. And if we have too many places to store things, then people get confused. And that's that's the main thing I'm thinking about now is before we adopt any more tools, is this going? We ask, is this going to confuse people about where they, where they should look? We already have people going. Well, I can't remember if you said told me that in Slack or in Basecamp or if it was just an email. <laughs> yeah. Or, or did you just tell me in person? When I saw you, <laughs> I uh, and uh, so, um, but on the administrative side, we use we use Harvest for um, time tracking because we still need. We even though we we've moved to billing flat pricing, we still want to know how much time it took us. I mean, as you know, it's you got to figure out if you're making money or losing money. Yeah, and uh, and QuickBooks because it works well with that, and it's got some industry standards that we just could not um, we could not get around some of the quirks that FreshBooks and and um, there was another one we used, but uh, FreshBooks had some things, even though I really liked it, had some things that our accountants couldn't deal with as well. So you have to figure out the best, yeah. best tool for the job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. we use QuickBooks as well, QuickBooks Online. And I'm curious about Xero, which I feel about half of the people I've interviewed have used that program, um, but I haven't even checked it out yet. So <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I think it's a little more intimidating changing like financial software than it is like project management software, because, you know, we've got an accountant that comes in once a month and she's, you know, really familiar with our setup and everything. Accountants like QuickBooks. Yeah. And so, and you want them to be happy and, and, and make, make sure they do what their work right. So yeah, there's probably a big tool I'm, I'm, I'm leaving out, but uh, I can't think of anything that any other tools. Okay. Let's talk about brand voice. How do you define and evoke a brand's voice? I feel like that's something that even for me, who, you know, I do a lot of copywriting and we do brand discovery and stuff like that, that the brand voice is sort of an ethereal thing. It almost is a feeling sometimes when you're writing. We don't always go to the the length of actually defining what it is. How do you sort of deal with brand voice and, and explaining that to clients or sort of defining a, a business's brand voice? Yeah, well, it's 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 got to be different with every client, and some take to it really well, and some don't. There's the process we would love to follow with every client, and then there's the reality of what happens. But we we do we have a couple of steps in the process that we often visit. I hate to say always, but we often will visit. One is when we when we let's say we're working on a website, and then they brought us in, they brought us in with another agency. In fact, we just did a project where we did a three-way project between the SEO firm, which is great with you, the design development firm, and us. And then we collaborated really well to launch this this project. So we're sitting around a table, literally and figuratively, uh, figuring that out. Uh, one of the tools we use is is uh, buyer persona. We look at, we try to always ask, well, what are we saying? And why would we say it? And why? who would care? And, and why would they care if we say it in this way? Um, what's going to feel authentic as, as that company? What's going to be useful to that buyer or that visitor on the, to the site and we we know that through research that that when you speak more specifically to a user's needs that you get a greater greater reception you know they're more likely to buy they're more likely to click through and that the idea that marketing that speaks to everyone speaks to no one so we we try to as much as possible be very specific about who we're writing to mm-hmm. that doesn't mean the home page is has a thousand different personalities on it but when you get deeper and deeper you might have a certain kind of product that's for CFOs and a certain kind of products for, for restaurant owners or depending on what their needs are. 
or for moms or for you know retirees, whatever it is. So we will we will try to build brand persona documents or buyer, sorry buyer persona documents, and I think a lot of user experience people do that as well. Another thing we'll do is uh, is create a voice and tone guide and explain the, the use of voice and tone, and and you can do that on a brand wide basis, or you can even alter your tone a little bit across your site and across your social media and your email because we as as users and we say the user we're you know we're fighting for the user we bring different contexts to everything we read you know what i read on my phone in the checkout line i have a different patience level and attention span than what i read when i'm researching a product to purchase for my company mm-hmm. and so we we explain how that works and we try to create foundational documents in the forms of you know a, a document or a pdf of some kind that the client goes yeah that sounds right and this makes sense and I authorize you to proceed with the rest of the planning and development of the content using these guidelines. We try to just explain how it work, how that works and why it works and why we think it's a good idea. And then we use things like personas and voice and tone to to really hone in on it. Um, doesn't It doesn't always take. Sometimes we get an approved voice and tone document and then we get to writing out the actual content and the client really wants it to sound this other way. Mm-hmm. And we have to have that conversation and ultimately try to help them make the best choice for their business. And yeah, I suppose now that I think of it, you know, when you're on social media, you expect people to be a little bit more informal, a little bit, you know, yeah, on a website, like you have to, it's your selling place, you know, it's, you've got to be very careful and calculated about what you say and how you say it. And it's not gone in a minute. It's always there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and you think about also throughout the customer life cycle, because so much of content is not just the sale, but then the support and the follow-up and think about everything you use, whether it's Harvest or Basecamp or whatever, you probably return to their websites now and then. And you've been a customer. It's not like you're considering whether to buy, but you need something. You need support or you have a trouble ticket or you want to figure out how something works that you don't quite get. So you, you want to allow for those emotions that the user might be bringing to the content, like exasperation, frustration. They've tried it three times. It does work. Now they're using their, your knowledge article. You think about how frustrated you get before you start looking for knowledge articles because looking for those is a pain. Yeah. You know, so by the time you're looking for a knowledge article, it better be clear and it better be there. Or you're going to you're going to look for a phone number or you're going to start tweeting about how how bad that product is. So so we think about that. There's um there's a person I should mention, a great, great, uh, great example of of good voice and tone specification. And people in the content world and content strategy know this pretty well, but um, is uh, it's created by MailChimp and the content strategist at MailChimp. Her name is Kate Kiefer Lee, I think. She created this voice and tone guide that explains to their freelance writers and their their staff writers how to write for the MailChimp brand when you're writing marketing copy, email, support articles, all this stuff. And she created this amazing guide, or she and her team, and they published it out for the world to see, and it's at voiceandtone.com. It is the MailChimp voice and tone guide, and it explains, like, okay, when they're in the support page, they're going to be frustrated. Make sure you're clear and make sure you don't get jokey. Yeah. But in the marketing in the marketing stuff, you send him an email once a week. You've got the little the little Mailchimp gorilla, and he's cute, and he can be jokey. That's fine because because the customer is not in a place of stress. Mm-hmm. So it's all about having empathy. I think good content and good content strategy is all about having empathy for the user who's going to read your words and or interact with your buttons or your content or your site, and figure out what are they. What do they need to hear to, to be happy? That's great. I've always been sort of a fan of MailChimp's content and messaging, and, and uh, that makes sense that they would have a uh, 
a rock star content strategist behind it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're they're showing the world how it's done, and then and they're giving it to the world for free. And we've we've used it as an example with clients for a couple of years. That's awesome. Do you think that content focus agencies like yours are going to become more common? Uh, I sure hope so. <laughs> I uh, I think that well, that's the thing is. And maybe I'm maybe I'm just living in my own you know under a rock somewhere. But that's how it felt to me in 2007 when I when I had this idea. It took me a few years to build it into what could possibly work. I realized right away that trying to be a just a content writing a copywriting firm would be hard uh, for me anyway. At that time, I was learning a lot more, more about marketing strategy and working up that up that stack and uh, and then about content strategy. I, I I know that content strategy and and content has become more of part of the discussion for traditional digital agencies we're just you know designing digital agencies everywhere content is now at the table it's 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 on the lips of everybody we i think we shall see whether people want to build agencies around content or if or if they're going to build content into everything else you Mm -hmm. know like the design of digital firms that they're going to to do that i think every firm has to decide whether they want to outsource that and which might be at a lower margin and make less money on it or partner it out or if they want to own that process in order to do it the way they want to do it. Yeah. The same reason you, you know, you hire developers and designers because you want them, your developers to develop what you designed the way you want them to, not the way they do it. And, and uh, so it's, I'll be interested to see, but I think there is a lot more like work for content people, people who plan it and people who are just great at managing it and people who are just beautiful creators of it. So awesome. Well, before we go, I'd like to get your three takeaways. Um, these would be, you know, bits of advice that you might offer to an agency who is thinking about doing content, thinking about partnering with a, a content agency. What what are those pieces of advice that you might share? Uh, yeah. So I would, st- I would say this is going to sound like obvious to everybody who's working I, I th- already, but you, you always have to start with why. Good marketing, I think, is about having a strategy. Why do we think w- the user or the buyer will do something and what do we need to say um, what do we need to create to make them act? So the strategy should, should decide all your decisions, whether it's designing it a certain way to look all modern and pretty or traditional and, and corporate. Um, it should also decide how you want to talk about yourself. So I think that's the first thing. And when you ask that question, I think it's only fair to ask it of the content and the design and how should this to be developed? What framework or, or language are you going to use? That's the, the first one. I think the second one is uh, if you're going to do content well, you have to have a process for it. The content isn't just a step in your waterfall site process, but the content itself has five or six steps. And that's from discovery about the content goals to uh, outlining in sections, like here's the sections we want to talk about and why and who they will speak to, like I mentioned earlier, to your actual production process, who's writing, how many revisions are you going to have. And that's part of that's important with scope. Uh, mm-hmm. with your client and then what's the once you launch or once you put it out there in the world what's the what's the workflow when you're when you're revising it and when the client revises and all and when they who approves it but then what's the governance model after it launches and when do you come back and refresh it every six months or who is maintaining it monthly or who is what is that process so as you know websites are not buildings to build and then walk away from they're like a garden you plant and then you should be tending it and weeding it and adding to it and retelling up certain sections. And the content is part of that too. I think especially you find that clients come, they want to build a new website because they're tired of looking at it and it doesn't say what they think it should say. 
sometimes the design is just fine, but the message needs to be updated. And other times it's both. Um, the last thing is, and this is this is sort of the thing I I ask my team, and I would ask every team who every agency that wants to work with content is, you just have to give a damn about what the content is going to say because it will either make or break your your site. You can have a gorgeous looking site. If you start reading it once it launches and you're instantly bored, then you know that maybe somebody didn't give enough attention to it. And I think we have to fight, um, all of us who work in, in marketing, we have to fight to make the content as good as the design is, as, as responsive as the pages are and the, the code and all that too. And I think it starts with uh, empathy, having empathy for who's going to have to use this and look at this every day. How good can we make this? So. I think people do do give a damn. I think you know there are a lot of great agencies doing great work, and I think that we have to um, we have to think about the work we do as these holistic pieces, these holistic programs that need incredible thinking and strategy and design and content and development and SEO all working together. Mm-hmm. That's great, great advice. It seems so funny that you know you would you know, spend all this time and energy building this amazing product and then let something as integral as content go to waste. Yeah. 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 I used to to say that it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like running a, running a marathon for three days, you know, and then you get home and you go and get a fresh set of clothes, this brand new set of clothes you put on a suit and then you just get right into those fresh clothes without showering off your body. And a lot of times people (laughs) like they will build a brand new site and the last minute, they'll just shuffle over all the old content into this brand new beautiful site, and uh, it's it just it kills you because it is a container, a vehicle for for what you're trying to say. I do believe that, and I hate to reduce websites to being containers or shells, but we are searching on content, and we are looking for content, we are trying to consume the content, so we have to care of the take care of the content. Well, thanks so much for coming in and uh, talking with me today. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, been a pleasure and a, a, a privilege. Yeah, I think uh, our listeners will find this information very valuable. Great. Thanks a lot. You bet. You've been listening to the Creative Agency Podcast with your host, Chris Bolton. When he's not podcasting or being a dad, he's the Digital Strategy Director at Murmur Creative in Portland, Oregon. Be sure to visit us online at creativeagencypodcast.com.